My guest today is Ryan Mickler, the founder, creator, and host of the Order of Man podcast and the Iron Council. Today we're going to talk about managing and leading through this crisis, beginning with yourself. Stay with us. You are a warrior. You are the very best your nation has to offer. They're asking you to lead. We need a bear cat. It's up to us. So 133, I need somebody that's got a visual on where the shooter is. You must be sound in mind, body, and spirit. 42, where is the officer down? I have a rescue helicopter that wants to land and help. This is the podcast that will make you the one. Cops running eastbound. The one that will bring everyone back. Trouble, we have shot fired, shot fired. Give me back up now. Because no one else is coming. I'm going to have an officer shot, an officer shot, 100 block of East Street. Suspect is down, suspect is down. This is The Squad Room. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Squad Room. I'm your host, Garrett Taslam, an active duty law enforcement officer in Southern California. And if this is your first time listening to the show, The Squad Room is about identifying tactics and strategies that we can use to navigate this challenging career and this challenging time so that we can be the best version of ourselves possible when, it go, when we go to work, when we suit up, and when we come home to our friends and family. My guest today is a repeat guest. Very excited to have him, Ryan Mickler. Ryan is the founder, creator, and host of the Order of Man podcast, a podcast that has turned into a movement, uh, a true movement. And Ryan's been a great inspiration to me and someone I've followed for a long time. His last time on the show, we talked about uh, masculinity around law enforcement and the and the challenges and dynamics of that. But uh, Ryan is also very much a leader and a leader of his own movement, a leader in his family. And I wanted to have him on for his unique perspective on how we can lead and win during a crisis like the one we're currently in and how we can take opportunities out of that to step up and to really shine because we are obviously in a spot right now. I think a lot of us are seeing it at agencies. I'm hearing from a lot of you out there that are dealing with agencies where the leadership is being, is just the life has been sucked out of it. And there's, there's no leadership at your agency. There's an opportunity to lead at any level. And there's also an opportunity to lead at home and in your community. So that's why I wanted to talk to Ryan, and he absolutely delivers in our conversation today. And we will have him on here in just a second. I want to remind you that our uh, store is now open. You can go to thesquadroom.net and click on the shop link in our menu, and you can go to that. You can also go, that same shop is at aworthycauselife.com. This is the shop that, uh, connected to the show here. Um, named it something different just because I'm inspired by Teddy Roosevelt and his idea of the man in the arena and spending your time in a worthy cause. That's certainly what we do here. That's what we strive to do. But there are also so many of our partners in the first responder and volunteer professions that do that too. And we're seeing so much of that right now with COVID that um, the people in the arena are not just those in the standard first responder professions anymore. That could include grocery store clerks to UPS drivers to the doctor, the nurses, of course. So a worthy cause life is my effort to acknowledge and celebrate the whole idea of service and serving something greater than yourself. So that's why it's named a little differently than the squad room. 
Now, before we get to Ryan, I want to thank you to or thank our sponsors for months now. You might have heard me. Uh, well, you might have heard me talking about this already. But for months now, I had been looking for a way to thank my guests and supporters like Ryan. Ryan's certainly going to get one of these. After being involved in a major international incident yesterday, uh, recently, I was given quite a few challenge coins. And I love challenge coins. And it turned out how much, uh, it was surprising to me how much they actually ended up meaning to me. So I decided to make a squad room challenge coin to share with guests and supporters. And I went searching for a company that could meet my high standards, but I was still nervous about making such a big purchase with my own money. Most challenge coins you order these days are ordered online, produced in a factory far, far away, and tracking down someone in customer service can be a challenge. And I'll admit that I'm kind of old school and I prefer to do my business eye to eye. Well, so I delayed this decision on a vendor for a long time until I found Signature Coins out of Florida. And turns out, you know what? They actually listen to the show and they're fans. And when I contacted them, we connected right away on my passion for what I'm doing here, their passion for honoring our profession. And Daniel, Trey, and Jeff, and all those guys over at Signature Coins immediately put me at ease about making such a big purchase. And they really bent over backwards to make the coin that I had in my head become a reality that I'm now holding in my hand. In fact, you can check out a a picture of the coin, because I'm really happy with it, on my Instagram, at the Squad Room uh, on Instagram. Signature Coins has over 30 graphic artists on staff right now in their Orlando office. So if you are not an artist, I'm certainly not. They can help you out. They don't charge a single penny for the artwork, and uh, they get you ready for production. And that's a big difference. Uh, They don't charge any hidden artwork fees. A lot of times you get hit at checkout with a, a big markup on an artwork fee. They don't do that. You don't have to hire an outside designer. They'll get you spun up and ready to print. They do all this without uh, all this art for free. There's no obligation to buy. And they also have inclusive pricing, which means that you're not going to get hit with a hidden upcharge at that checkout. You got 100% guarantee on their craftsmanship, free next day shipping in the U.S. when the coins are done. And their customer ter- service team is right there in Orlando. Their turnaround is quick, about two weeks, which is super fast for coins. And like I said, free next day shipping when you get your coins uh, when they're ready to go. I couldn't be happier with my coins, and I couldn't be happier that I got them from Signature Coins. If you're looking to make your own challenge coins, you can find out more at SignatureCoins.com or email info at SignatureCoins.com, and Jeff will hook you up with a quote. If you use the coupon code the Squad Room, all one word, you'll get $50 off your first order. Learn more at SignatureCoins.com. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show. They help us uh, keep the lights on and do the things that need to be done in order to get people like Ryan on the show. All right, so here's our guest. Ryan Mitter, welcome back to the Squadron, man. It's been uh, mind-blown here, but it's been over two years since we last talked. Yeah, it goes pretty quick. A lot has <laughs> happened over the past two years, but man, honored to be joining you again. Thank you, and I'm honored that you're taking the time. Um, I know that my audience has responded so well to your last episode here and then watching your I don't want to say just podcast. It's like it's a movement, really, right? Your movement at Order of Man yeah. has really come into its own since the last time we talked, too. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's really started to grow. So, um, yeah, it's a testament to what we're doing and the power of the the message. So, I'm, I'm excited to be on this path. So, you mentioned that a lot has happened. You've you've your book has come out. I want to touch on that a little bit. You've done a a move across the country from Utah to Maine. You just uprooted everybody with no connection to Maine. That's, that's just inspiring in itself. And then um, you've also, I think, since we last talked, moved from this being a passion project to a side hustle to a, f- a side job to a full-time job in that time, too. But 
Yeah, I can't remember what we had talked about last time, but that's possibly some some of it has evolved for sure. Yeah, we last time we really covered a lot of like the ideas of 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 masculinity and in the leadership roles as first responders, right? And so mm-hmm. I thought today would be a good second part to that conversation. As much as I want to talk about some other stuff, I feel like we're in an opportunity right now to talk about leading during this current pandemic that we're in. And okay. and and you know, the things that we can do, man or woman, because the leadership principles are the same, and you've uh, espoused a lot of them through your own work. And I thought we'd start by kind of clarifying that there's really three pa- three places I see that we need to be leading right now. We need to lead at work, we need to lead at home, and we need to lead ourselves. And I thought mm-hmm. my first question to you would be, of those three, can you rank those in terms of importance and then maybe explain that a little bit? So you said work, family, and self. Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, work, home, and ourselves, work, or work, work family. Home and, mm-hmm. and, okay. Yeah, uh, yourself is number one, without a doubt. And that's funny because that's where m- most people put that as as the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And and I get it. Like you you've got responsibilities and obligations, and those things are all noble. It's all good. But uh, if you aren't taking care of yourself, you're going to burn out and crash before too long. Uh, family next, and then work from there. I mean, you, what what we do, the way I look at this is like you, you, you focus on the smallest unit first, which is yourself singular, right? You focus on yourself first. And then as you become more capable of, uh, leading yourself, then that starts to grow and expand like influence, right? So now you influence those who are closest to you. That's your family. Your family is closest to you. And then once you begin to start impacting your family and leading them in ways that, that, that is effective for them, then it moves even further outward into your community, into your work environment, your colleagues, et cetera. So that's the order in which I, I, I would place the, the priority, yourself, your family, then your work. I like that too, I, and I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's something you talked – and I know, I know it's something you talked about in your book, Sovereignty, um, and the importance of kind of taking control of yourself and, and your own destiny in that way. Um, one of the things that strikes me about the order that you placed them in there too is it's kind of the inverse relationship to followership. And I thought mm. you might have some comments on the, cause you know, you came out of the, you, you were in the military and you obviously are familiar with a command structure. We operate in a paramilitary organization. So there are times when being a good leader means being a good follower as well. I don't see that as something that we can do when we're leading ourselves for example, you you know, you only can follow yourself, but I, I want your thoughts on that too. And how, how you may lead by following in each of those three environments as well. You as a person, you, Ryan Mickler. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I've wrestled with this thought about, are you leading when you're following? I mean, I don't know by definition if you are, but you're certainly exhibiting leadership characteristics, right? You're exhibiting some level of humility, mm-hmm. which is a leadership characteristic. Um, you're, you're certainly being an example, which I guess would be leadership. You're being an example to those around you, whether it's your peers or potentially even your subordinates to show them what it's like for uh, a capable, strong, assertive leader to take a step back and be led by somebody else who might be more capable in the moment. Uh, There's a lot of great opportunities for the mission to uh, be accomplished and for you to be much more efficient when you're working in a team environment if you do get out of your own way in other people's way. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to do because a lot of leaders are uh, – they take pride in what they've done and what they've accomplished. They're very capable for the most part and, and generally – I know there's exceptions, but generally most leaders are very qualified and competent to to lead in those moments. And so you pride yourself on that and you should. You should be proud of the skill sets you, that you've developed to be a leader. But and I'm sure you would agree that the mission comes first. 
not yourself as a leader, the mission comes first. So what is it that needs to happen in order for the mission to come first? Sometimes that means this individual is more qualified and we're going to be led by him or her because they're more qualified to get the the mission accomplished. So again, I, I haven't chewed on it as much as maybe I should or would have liked, but yeah, I don't know if you're leading necessarily, but I understand the point and you are certainly exhibiting leadership characteristics when you are humble enough and secure enough in who you are to be led by other people who are highly competent and qualified. You know, I think this, uh, this situation that we're in right now is a great opportunity that's being thrown a lot around, thrown around a lot right now on social media. It's an opportunity to do this or do that. But what it really is, is an opportunity for new and emerging leaders to really step up and define themselves by this. Um, and so I think a lot of people are looking for those first steps to make, and you make a good point about, you talk about the mission, right? And we have a mission that we do at work and on a given day, we know what it is. You know, in 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 a, in a quick sentence, it's just you know fighting crime and keeping the peace, right? But as mm-hmm. we're going through this pandemic and it's changing, and our daily SOPs are changing, the mission is sort of changing. But what I find, and what I'm getting a lot of questions about, especially this week and last week, is um, the mission at home and how do we navigate and how do we straddle the worlds of being the first responder and fulfilling that oath that we took to. Um, you know, to go out there and be the one to go out and, and handle these things. But also we have kids at home and a family at home that we're potentially exposing to these things. And now we have kids at ho- uh, home who are being homeschooled. So the mission, we we now have several missions and there's really, there's a mission within each of those. Don't you think work home and um, family or sorry, yourself home and work? Um, yeah, I think there's a mission. And I, and I would say that there's probably, or at least ought to be, uh, some sort of overarching vision that intertwines all of those capacities which you, in which you serve. A lot of people talk about the hats, right? Like, oh, I'm going to put on my work hat and my dad hat and my husband hat and my this hat. It's like, there's, there's no hats. Like, there, there's just you and your life, mm-hmm. right? And the more that you compartmentalize these elements of your life, I, I think it's a very inefficient and unfulfilling way to live. Like, there should be congruency between who you are at work and who you are at home and how you act with your friends and what you do in your spare time, there should be some elements of congruency there. And that's all tied together through an overarching life vision. Mm -hmm. So there might be specific details or objectives that you're trying to accomplish while you're fulfilling each one of these obligations and responsibilities. They should all be, be tied together through some grander vision of what you want to accomplish generally for yourself and your life. I love the idea of, of congruency, you know, and I think when you're congruent, then you're also authentic you know, as long as that is, yes. that is your person and, and authenticity is, is in short supply often. And I think we're getting there more and more and people are, especially men are learning to be more authentic and more congruent in that sense. But where do you think that we still trip ourselves up with, with that effort at authenticity and congruency? Uh, ego, <laughs> right? Ego. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, we all live in, in these hierarchical structures, Right. So, for example, at home, it's likely that you're at the top of the hierarchy, like you are the the leader, you're the husband, the father, the man of the house, you're at the top of the hierarchy. And then you go into work and all of a sudden you're not at the top of the hierarchy, you're somewhere in the middle, maybe, or upper management or at the bottom, depending on where you are. And that if you're not humble and you're not receptive and open to learning and and exhibiting this characteristic of humility, then – that's going to be a hard pill to swallow that you can be a leader in one capacity and not 
be at the top of the hierarchy in another. And that ego really trips a lot of guys up instead of looking at it as an opportunity for growth, right? If you're at the top, there's nowhere to go. If you're at the bottom, man, you got plenty of room to grow. So use that as a moment to be excited about your prospects of growth and progression and career advancement and all the other things that come as you progress up this hierarchy. I like the idea of, of looking at the opportunity of it. We have on this show, we really have kind of two camps of listeners here. One is veteran officers who've got, you know, five, 10, 15 years on the job and on the street mm-hmm. and others who are aspiring into the job, you know, so people who are, who are coming out of college or high school, they're applying, they're wanting to get into the police academy and that they're, they got their whole career ahead of them. Right. And so I wanted, you just touched on the, my next questions, but it, my idea is where do we start in each of those, the ourselves, home, and work? What's the first step in leading ourself? You, you've written a whole book on it, but give me that in a short, in a short version. Yeah, I mean, we could take so much time talking about this. Uh, it's, it's a, the, the first step is an objective assessment of, of your situation. Mm-hmm. Just like you're going into to a crime scene or you know a, some sort of a, a circumstance or situation which it, it, people are at danger or at risk, like you're not just going to run in there guns a blazing. Like right. that sounds stupid. It's going to get people killed, right? Mm-hmm. But what do you do? You assess the situation. You gather intel. You gather information. You figure out the surrounding area, and then what do you do from there? Now you start coming up with a plan, right? So and then you act out the plan. You carry it out. So it's really a three-step process, but it's the same whether we're talking about an active shooter situation or you trying to lead at home and get your kids to eat their broccoli and do their chores, right? Like you assess the situation, number one, and you look at yourself. Okay, well, where am I strong? Mm-hmm. What attributes do I bring to the table? Where am I weak? What, what, do, what do I need to shore up? What skill sets do I need to develop and learn and grow and how can I improve in these areas? Uh, what, what do I, what do I do? Well, where I've had past successes, what's tripped me up in the past. It's very difficult to look. It's, it's easy to look at the positive side. Like, Oh, look at all these wonderful things I've done and how successful I've been. That's easy. Everybody does that. Right. But look at the other side. Where have I failed? Why did I fail? And we don't use these as moments to beat ourselves up. We use them as moments to learn and grow and expand. Mm-hmm. Like you can't fix what you don't know is broken. So you need to begin to isolate the problem so that you can then formulate a plan, that's step number two, formulate a plan to be able to attack the situation or the problem or the mission or the task at hand. And then from there, it's execution. Now, once you execute, and I'm sure you guys have some sort of after-action review process, oh, yeah. you execute the plan, hopefully you accomplish the mission. If you didn't, or you did, regardless, you do an after-action review. What, what went well? What didn't go so well? Where did I thrive? Where did I fall behind? What do we need to do next time? This is the process. Uh, objective analysis of where you are. Assess the situation. Make a plan. Carry out the plan. Review it. Go back to assessing the situation again. I think that debrief for that after action report, that's something we often so miss, the opportunities to really learn and critique and, and grow from. On this show, we talk. I talk about a SWOT analysis, much like that. Strengths, weaknesses, yeah. advantages, and threats, right? Strengths sure. and weaknesses are internal uh, Advantages and threats are external issues that you, that you have to your advantage or disadvantage. You need to be aware of all of them mm-hmm. and, and, and use them all. And it's easy to apply those things, like you say, when you're doing a, a warrant hit or you're out on the street. But when you talk about, like, for example, today with me and two kids uh, who I'm <clears> – steep learning curve on learning how to homeschool, right? I have a SWOT analysis to do there as well, and we can all learn from those things. 
very quickly sometimes. Yeah, it is. It is. It is true. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of men, and I imagine it's generally men who listen to the to your podcast. Is that? Yeah, is that yeah. Accurate? We're we're there's obviously, um, of course, duh, there's female officers and there's female listeners to the show too. But yes, overwhelming overwhelmingly male audience here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think we tend to do a very good job on the job and we don't do as well off the job because on the job is actually fairly easy to articulate. Here's the mission. Here's our standard operating procedures. Mm-hmm. Here's our protocols. Here's, here's how we've done it in the past. Right. And here's how we know if it's a failure or a success. Yeah. It's all quantified already. It's already done. All you have to do is execute because mm-hmm. it's already done. But how do you measure being an effective father or an effective mother for the women who are listening or a wife or a husband or a, or a school teacher in your case? <laughs> like, how do you measure those things? Mm-hmm. Well, they can be measured. It's just going to take some thought process behind what what is it that you're after? What is the mission you're trying to accomplish? And it's not just to educate your kids. Yes, generally that's what you want. But maybe your mission specifically is to teach them – this one thing about this one subject, like today we're going to work on our times tables. And if I can get my son to memorize, uh, his twos on the times tables, mission accomplished. Okay. That's the objective. Now what's the best way to do this? What does he already know? What doesn't he know? How, how, how mature is he? Does he have his other times tables memorized? Does he know addition and subtraction? Right. So you start to analyze and then you formulate a plan and then you evaluate. Oh, man, that didn't work. He didn't complete his two. So we've got to go back to the drawing board tomorrow. It's, it's not it's not a sexy process, <laughs> but it's the process. Take what you know at work and what you do so well as a first responder and adapt it and incorporate it into your personal and family life. It's the same process. I think a lot of people misunderstand or they think that the skills we have at work can translate to running a household the same way. And it took me a long time to realize mm-hmm. that those, you're right. The work stuff that we do is easy because it's clearly defined. We have clear job descriptions. And the one thing that's largely lacking from those things we do at work is emotion, right? And, and personal emotion that comes into when you, we do things at home, right? So with our kids mm-hmm. and with our wives or our husbands, you add an element of emotion to it. And uh, that really can put, uh, fuel to the fire or throw gasoline on the fire, depending on how you interact yeah. in that way. Right. Yeah, and- that's true. It's, uh, you, you as a police officer and first responders in general, military members are very much the same way have been conditioned to, uh, act in, in order, right. To, mm-hmm. to be so good at what you do that it becomes natural instinct. You don't have to think about it a whole lot. Like you just act boom, 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 no emotion, get the job done mission accomplished and then you go about about your day but but your your wife hasn't been trained the same way right your kids have not been trained the same way mm-hmm. so they're they're approaching it's actually really funny to listen to first responders or military members communicate with each other they're very robotic you yep. know from the outside looking in and i spent some time in the military but from the outside now looking in you guys are very robotic which i can appreciate in the moment, like it, that's actually important. But then when you get into these other environments, it's not so robotic. And at times it seems to be a struggle to remember that you're dealing with a, a human being who has their own baggage and their own emotions and their own perceptions and their own viewpoints and beliefs about who they are and what they can do. And 
it's not always easy to translate. It's like, why don't they just understand or do what I tell them to do? Because they're not your little soldier. For sure. Right? For they're sure. not your little soldier. So yeah. it's, it's a challenge. It's tough. There, there's two thoughts I had on that. Well, I heard a quote recently that I thought really uh, drove the point home. Is like, you know, the, the academy teaches you how to turn <laughs> off the emotion, but it doesn't teach you how to turn it back on. And mm. our emotions are like, we need to treat them like a light switch, really. Uh, you, you shut them off when you leave the front door in the morning to go to work, and you need to flip them back on when you come home. And you need to be able to connect to that in that way. That was one thought. The other thought was, if there's a cop who's been a cop for more than five years and his spouse has not told him yet, stop treating the children like, the, uh, like they're a suspect, then you're really, mm. <laughs> then you haven't been doing it very right. long. Because every cop is, who's married has had that experience of a spouse saying, you know, why are you interrogating me? Uh, why are you interrogating right. the kids? Like, what are you talking about? And just the demeanor there, you're absolutely right. It's now I can, after 15 years, I can see it and I can see myself clicking into uh, cop dad mode, you know, when a, right. when a cookie goes missing from the cookie jar <laughs> and, and my wife's on my case and I realize, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, I got my kids seated on the ground with their legs crossed out in front of them and their hands in their lap and they're, you know. <laughs> got little zip zip ties behind their back. Their, their, right. their hands are zip tied behind them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so as I'm learning, because uh, I'm always learning, I'm 42, but I'm still trying to learn from every opportunity and every situation I'm in. And I, I realize the older I get, the less I know, you know, um, all three of those environments that we're talking about ourselves, home and work, I think from my perspective, they require all of them require patience. And then they mm -hmm. also require uh, some compassion and a willingness uh, to, to be different. And so, um, the danger I think for me in patience with ourselves is that we can, or with anybody is we can end up with low expectations and an unwillingness to be con uh, confrontational. And then the flip side is if we're compassionate, we risk maybe being confused with accepting poor performance. I'm curious where you fall on, on the ideas of patience and compassion in, in leadership at home and uh, specifically with your children, but at home and at work. You base it on the results you're trying to produce because believe it or not, I think it's actually important that you exhibit some sort of compassion or empathy even towards a suspect that you might be oh, yeah. dealing with. Sure, sure, sure. Maybe not as much as you would be doing with your kids, but right. if you can't understand that this is a human being, then you're missing a critical component that might actually resolve the situation in a peaceful manner, which is ultimately what you're after. We've got to resolve this and we don't want anybody to get hurt, including the suspect, right? So – it is important, but you just have to look and say, okay, well, what is the result I'm trying to produce? With a suspect who's wielding a gun or a weapon, your level of empathy is going to be significantly lower than a child who uh, just got a bad grade on the report card. Mm -hmm. But the objective is with a suspect is to take this person into custody to keep them from harming other people and themselves. And therefore, my level of uh, assertiveness or even in some cases aggression is going to have to go up based on the mission and objective at hand. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're dealing with a kid who's dealing with a uh, with a bad report report card, the ultimate objective for you is to understand, okay, well, why is something going on? Are they having a hard time at school? There's there is there a learning disorder? Is are they being bullied? Do they not get the information? Do they need glasses? There could be like a thousand different things. Do they have bad influences that they're spending time with? A thousand different things, but ultimately your objective is to figure it out so that they can get a better grade. Well, that's going to require more empathy and understanding and compassion and maybe even some grace than assertiveness and aggression and dominance. So what you do is you look at what is the mission, what is the objective, and then what is the best way to get there? Now, here's what I will say that I think a lot of you, military members, uh, first responders, might 
fall into a little bit because I know some of your personalities is it's very assertive. A lot of red personalities get the job done, task oriented. Let's get this thing done is you might fall into thinking like, well, if, if they don't listen to me, then that's their problem. That's not my problem. That's their problem. Well, no, it's actually your problem because you're trying to influence that individual. Again, whether it's a suspect or a victim or your child. You are the one communicating. You are trying to achieve an objective. Therefore, it is not their problem that you can't adapt your communication style. It's your problem because you're the one trying to achieve the objective. So if you're the person who's like, if they don't get it, that's their fault, or the zero Fs mentality type person, like you're you're being driven by ego and you're getting in your own way of producing the desired results on any front of your life. Yeah, that <clears throat> I 100% agree, and I think I could see myself in that early in my career and realize that that wasn't working. And mm-hmm. I'll totally admit that it still pops up from time to time, and I have to be super self-aware of that mindset. And then, you know, I've never... I've never been a fan of the zero F's mindset either. And just, I just don't understand that. And especially as a first responder, like, man, that's why you signed up, you know, (laughs) like you signed up to give some. And, um, I'm just, it's, it it actually is to me when, when people say that they're doing it to be tough, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They want to exude this level of tough. I actually think it's weak. Absolutely. Like it's fragile. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't bend and, and you're so rigid in your thought process, the problem with being rigid, like for example, so we've got this big flagpole. It's like a 25 or 30-foot flagpole outside of our house. Mm-hmm. And when I bought it, I, I assumed that it would be made out of like metal and it would be this big steel pole that would go in the ground. And I was talking with the sales rep and he said, no, it's fiberglass. And I'm like, that seems weird. He's like, no, it has to be fiberglass because it has to bend. So as the wind is is blowing, it has to be able to give a little bit because if it doesn't and it's so rigid, it will snap. And that's us. Like if we're so rigid in the way that we approach situations that some level of friction, we don't know what level it is, but at some point we'll snap. So you need to be moldable, bendable. You Mm -hmm. still have a spine, right? I'm not saying that you're just like all over the place. You still have a spine, but it's, but it's flexible and it's bowing and it's moving as the wind and the circumstances change so that it doesn't snap and it, and it, and it maintains its integrity which is in case of a flagpole to wave that flag. But in the case of you as the person listening, it's to uh, get the mission accomplished, keep people safe, uh, apprehend those that need to be apprehended and do your job. But you got to have some flexibility in that. That's a great metaphor. Like <laughs> what a, what a perfect metaphor to land in the lap for, for, for such a visual description of that. In ancient Rome, soldiers would step into battle to fight for the empire, but they also had bills to pay and family back home to support. Doesn't that sound familiar? Well, if soldiers performed well in battle, they would be paid in gold coins. If they performed with exceptional valor, they would be given an extra coin. Legend has it that this coin was often minted with the name and symbol of the legion in which they served, and that soldiers would hold on to these coins as proof of their bravery. This made their coins a prized possession. Throughout history, unique coins have been part of nearly every warrior tradition. There's a story from World War I in which an American pilot was held captive as a German POW and stripped of all of his personal identification. He escaped the POW camp but was detained by the French who thought he was a German spy. He carried with him a coin with a symbol that one of the French soldiers recognized as that of an American squadron. The coin saved his life. Challenge coins remain an important part of this warrior tradition, including those in law enforcement and the other first responder professions. 
Signature Coins out of Orlando, Florida is my choice for challenge coins for the squad room. Their staff of artists can create and make most any design a reality, and their quality is top-notch. The people at Signature Coins are complete professionals like you, and they take their jobs seriously. Quality is their priority, and I can tell you that it shows in the squadron coins that I ordered from them. You can check out their handiwork on my Instagram at the Squadroom. For more information or to get a free quote with no artwork fee, check out their website at signaturecoins.com. If you use the coupon code the Squadroom, you can get $50 off your first order. That's signaturecoins.com. Now, back to the show. I want to transition a little bit and talk about resistance. You know, that's uh, Stephen Pressfield is famous for kind of coining it that, but you could call it imposter syndrome or whatever else people want to do. But resistance for, for people who are listening who aren't familiar with Stephen, although you should be, but um, is just the idea that uh, the naysayer inside your own head that prevents you from achieving the goals you want to achieve. And um, he's written many books on it even. Uh, but my, uh, I'm thinking for the new leaders, like I say, this is an opportunity for people to step up and lead right now. A lot of them are going to be feeling like, you know what? I'm just not that guy or I'm just not that girl. I'm not a leader uh, because I don't have 10 years on the job. I don't have time as a supervisor. I don't have time. I don't have a college degree. Whatever it is, we have those things that go on in our minds. We all do that justify to us why we should not step up and and take the lead. And my thought, my question for you on that was, what's your advice on managing that imposter syndrome or that resistance? And then I want to talk a little bit further about some of the own experiences you've had during Order of Man. But what's your advice for people who are looking at this as an opportunity to lead? Look, if you feel like you, if you have a desire to lead in some capacity, then you have an obligation to do it. Like mm. it's an obligation. It is a, it, it's a responsibility. If you're feeling that way, then you have a responsibility to do it. But if you wrap up the notion that you can only lead when you have a title or a rank advancement, then you're leaving a lot of room for growth on the table. Um, you know, it's hard though because these conversations that we have with ourselves are are very real. Uh, we've we've potentially bought into these things for decades, uh, and it's hard to rewire those scripts. So I think mentorship is very important as senior officers in within your your work. You know, you have an obligation also to be able to look down and and mentor these these young police officers who are coming up and and teach them and instruct them and guide them. That's very important. Um, having the right influences, reading the right information and material. Uh, listening to podcasts, reading books, just being very aware of the information that's going into your brain. It's it, it here. I've had it explained to me uh, like this. I went to a conference years and years ago, and the guy said, "Garbage in, garbage out." So if you're putting garbage into your head, that's what's going to be produced, right? It's it's just the way it works. But if you're putting in good information and guidance and instruction and knowledge and information, then the natural outcome is obviously going to be good. Right. If, if, for example, with planting trees, you know, if you have a bad, if if the soil's bad or the tree is bad, then the fruit's going to be bad. It's just the way it works. But if the soil's good and the tree's good and it's watered and it's nourished, then the fruit is going to be good and enjoyable. Same thing here. So be very very aware of what you're putting into your mind and what you're consuming, who you're surrounded with, who you're learning from, uh, because that will negate and offset some of the mental talk and baggage that you've probably subscribed to for years and years at this point. Yeah. You, you've talked openly about your own feelings of this every once in a while, that these things will come up even now. Um, I think mm-hmm. by any, 
any means, anyone who follows you and knows about you would qualify what you're doing as a success. But you, you talk about how this, these things will pop up. But also, back when you, even before you started Order of Man, and you were going through the the issues, again, that you talk openly about with your wife and just really needing to take control of yourself, um, that required a lot of effort and over uh, and ability to overcome that resistance too. Where did, like, nowadays... Where, if when these things come up nowadays, where do you start? Is there a book you go to, a podcast, a ment, a specific mentor, uh, an Instagram page, or is there an internal process you go through? Um, I actually have it right here. So this is a, a journal that I use that, that we created. It's called a battle plan. And anytime I start to uh, get down on myself or start to get into this like mental game, this the mental gymnastics I've heard it referred to as like this is what I go to. And I know you can't see it, but in there is a plan for what I'm going to accomplish this week. Uh, I talk about my 12-week objectives and my goals and the tasks that I need to get done each day in order to accomplish these things. Uh, the best way that I've been able to combat this this negative belief or self-talk that I have is to start working. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I've found – and this actually works for anxiety and depression barring some sort of mental illness or instability – uh, it's very difficult for you to feel sorry for yourself when you're actively engaged in improving yourself or other people. Mm. So service also fulfills this role. Wow. Like you can't feel bad for yourself while you're serving uh, food to the homeless. <laughs> like like you, you just can't. It's right. just, I, I just, I'm kind of under the impression that it, it's just not possible. Mm. Uh, if, if you're starting to get, look, my mom always used to say, and, and I rolled my eyes when she said it, she'd say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And, and I used to think that it meant like, oh, I'm going to get into trouble because I'm bored, which could be true, but it also has an element of men mentality to it as well. If you're, if you're bored and your mind isn't engaged, that's when the stuff starts to creep in. So engage your mind. How do you do it? Get to work. Like find something meaningful. You're in your gym right now. Just go outside and do, do some squats, do some bench press, go for a run, uh, plant a tree, mow your yard. Uh, write in your journal, uh, go, go, go serve in some capacity, a charitable organization, go balance your checkbook, like improve in some way. And you won't feel sorry for yourself. You'll actually do the opposite. What you do when you start working towards these things is you start to empower yourself and feel better about who you are. There's a lot of thought about confidence. Like how do I develop confidence? You do it by winning battles with yourself. And it is a battle with yourself because you've got this one side of you that's like you're a loser. You've never done anything good in your life. You've never accomplished anything. You're not going to amount to anything. And then you've got this other side who says, no, you've, you've, look how far you've come. Look what you've overcome. Look at the accomplishments that you've had. And you're battling, right? You're battling with, mm -hmm. with yourself. And the more that you prove that, that you can follow through on the commitments to yourself, the more that that side of, of, of who you are wins the, the conversation and dictates the tone of the things that you're telling to yourself. Yeah, I, I, that's fantastic. I think um, the fastest way to develop confidence is to develop competence. You know, be, right. become good at the things you need to do, and then it, it will come naturally to you. I want to also ask you about, so on the show, we talk, I talk a lot about an acronym I use, BADGES which is beliefs, actions, discipline, goals, emotions, and service. And how okay. those six things need to be in alignment and you need to be congruent and authentic between them, right? Your beliefs and actions can't be out of order. 
your discipline and goals need to be in order, et cetera, et cetera, right? But mm -hmm. as I work through my own things, and one of the things I realize uh, for me is my definition of goals is shifting a little bit. Uh, I used to be a complete uh, proponent of, you know, smart goals, uh, specific, measurable, achievable, uh, was it results and timeline or something like that? So mm -hmm. having, these, uh, I think it's uh, reasonable, reasonable. Uh, realistic and uh, time sensitive, time sensitive. So I would always frame my goals in that way, but for, for, I think a variety of reasons found those to be very unsuccessful and now focus on process oriented goals, you know, meaning uh, Nick's, I'm not a football fan really, but like Nick Saban is famous for the process. What's the next right thing to do? And mm. so transitioning to process goals for me and like, it's not about losing 30 pounds, which would be maybe this, you know, losing 30 pounds uh, by July 1st, that might be a smart goal versus in the gym five days a week. That's the goal. You know, the difference there. Where do you fall in terms of goals when you set your own goals or when people ask you how to set their goals? Yeah, I actually think you should, you should apply it from both perspectives. Okay. <clears throat> so what I think is you should start with smart goals. Um, and I was going to say another, uh, word for the R that I've heard is relevant, relevant. Yeah. Right. So you have, you have smart, so attainable is the A and then R relevant, meaning that it's relevant to you. It's important. It has significance because if it's somebody else's goal, it won't really matter. So right. what you do is you start with smart goals and you create what that goal is. Now, most goal setting just stops there. It's like, there's your goal. Go out and do it. Well, that's not enough. Right. And a lot of it is external. For example, you talked about losing 30 pounds. Well, there's things outside of your control. There's your genetics. There's things like that that you have to deal with that may make it easier or more difficult for other people. Um, there's how far you have to go. Like, are you just getting started? Do you have 60 pounds to lose? Well, then the 30 pounds is going to be easier than, than somebody who has 32 pounds to lose, right? So there's, there's some external circumstances and variables here. But what you do is you start with that smart goal and then you work backwards into – and this is what I like what you're saying, the process – so you work backwards into tactics. So what do I need to do every single day so that the result will inevitably come to fruition? So if we're talking about losing 30 pounds, that's the SMART goal. That's where you start. And then you work backwards into I'm going to exercise one hour every single day. Now that's what you focus on. You don't focus on the goal. The goal will take care of itself if you exercise for one hour every single day. If you do that – you'll naturally inevitably produce the result. And then what you do is you measure and you track the task. That's the daily task that you do. Now I plan in 90 day segments. So I have a 12, I have four 12 week objectives I'm trying to accomplish. I work backwards. I have one tactic that I accomplish per objective. So that means per day at a minimum, there's four things that are non-negotiable that I do every single day. Exercise happens to be one of those things. Okay. So, so those are the four things. Now I look at checkpoints. So I have a 30-day checkpoint. So if, I'm on, if I want to lose 30 pounds in 90 days, that means in 30 days, I ought to be 10 pounds down. In 60 days, I ought to be 20 pounds down. If I'm hitting those benchmarks, I know I'm on track. If I lose 30 pounds in the first 30 days, then I got to readjust. Congratulations. Now you got to readjust and improve. But if you've only lost three pounds, man, you need to go back to the drawing board because maybe the exercise isn't enough or maybe you're not doing the right type of exercise. And so you reevaluate and shift gears so that you can complete the objective. But the objective is just, that's where we're going. Now I got to focus on now, how do I get there? Hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. And I, <clears throat> I agree. We, we get focused on that smart goal, but we, we often miss the tactics and objectives that we can use to actually get there. And exactly. 
you know, you made an interesting point too about how boredom can, if boredom is often the res- or the the cause of some of these malignments, and mm-hmm. I think we can all get bored. We can get bored with our job. We can get bored with the repetition. We can get bored with perceived the the perceived boringness of being at home or you know of a family, whatever it is. Like or we a find workout, like or a workout. Workout yeah. is monotonous, right? Like yeah, we get bored. And and I find at least professionally, and I guess this really it does apply to the family too, but we get bored if we don't have a clear mission. And you used that word earlier, and I really like the idea of a mission or a purpose and why we're here. What are the things you use to make sure that you maintain a mission? Because, you know, your mission has changed as you've been an adult, of course, and then as you're, you're, you uh, have kids and as Order of Man has gone from a, a side job to a full-time uh uh, full-time job to then a, like I said, movement, and you are now a leader of this movement, your mission had to have changed with that. How do you make sure that you're staying on a mission, that your mission is is timely and, uh, and appropriate? My mission hasn't really changed. Oh, uh, interesting. My, and maybe it's just semantics, but I choose to look at a vision. Okay. What kind of vision do I have for myself? So right. my vision as a man has always been to be uh, a capable provider financially for my family. Now, the way that I've gone about doing that has changed, right? So the vision for the most part has stayed the same. I want to be able to provide for my family. That's one element of my vision. I have other elements we can talk about. That's one element of it. So I used to be in the financial planning field and we did fairly well. I tried to make myself capable. I tried to learn how to communicate. I learned a lot about human psychology. I learned a lot about the products we were offering and selling. And therefore I was able to produce the results that we wanted and create a pretty lucrative business for, for me and and my family. Uh, Over the course of the past five years, which is when I started order of man, you know, we've, I've gradually become more capable of, of interviewing people and marketing myself online and creating frameworks and systems that people could digest and utilize in their own life. And as I've built up my capabilities, I've been able to make great income and provide for my family, uh, even more so than I was doing in my financial planning practice. But the vision didn't change the way that I went about doing it and the means in which I fulfilled the vision have. Mm, the so tactics, that, yeah. Okay. Right. Now, I will say my vi- my vision evolves Right. Like, for example, at, when when my kids are leaving the house, me being uh, in, a, in a highly engaged father by playing Lego and all these other things, obviously, they're going to be out of the house. Right. They're doing their own family and their own things. So that's going to evolve. That's going to change. And when that time comes, I adjust my vision. I think about what kind of grandfather I want to be, what kind of husband I still want to continue to be. And then I make my my objectives based on on the vision itself. I, li- I like the idea that you there's a guiding point, right, and that you, that doesn't that doesn't really change your direction no. doesn't change just the tactics and objectives might right might change there too. You know, you you mentioned um, your job as a as a in in the finance world, and I wanted to talk a little bit too about <clears throat> that dynamic, but also just very realistically, kind of day to day encouragement and tactics and strategies for people right now because you know so many of our officers are single single income families. And it's just the way the first responder world works. It's like, it's really hard to have a dual income family and spend a group load of money on childcare or, mm-hmm. you know, dad's sleeping during the day and mom's juggling the kids. I'm in a situation where my wife works. Uh, but most, I not say most, but very, very many are single income. The spouse, the wife stays at home and, and it manages with the kids. 
and um, there's pressure. Um, there's pressure there, right? And so, um, the one thing I want to kind of dig into a little bit is a lot of cops have an entrepreneurial spirit. A lot of first responders in general, and that puts pressure. That single income income puts pressure on their willingness or their 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 yeah their willingness to go out and try something new try and try and start a side hustle try and generate some extra income or even just leave the field in general because they've got the pension and they've got the steady income and they've got the stable job and they have a they they can't just fall back on their spouse's salary i was wondering if you had any advice on managing a single income while also engaging the entrepreneurial spirit like like you did yeah, I mean, you talk about the pension and the steady income and, and the reliability of work. Those are crutches, frankly. You know, those are things that we rely on that that would hinder us from walking on our own two feet. And look, I'm not telling you that you, you shouldn't be a first responder or anybody who might be listening that is in, in, uh, employed by an organization. Like, I'm not telling you that you need to own your own business. In fact, probably most people shouldn't own their own business. But if you have a desire to start a movement or a business or a side hustle and you're using the pension or the career or the stability as an excuse not to do it, then that has become a crutch and you're no longer walking on your own two feet. The problem with a crutch is they break, right? Like you either get, you get bored or you, you get hurt or you get older and you can no longer serve, right? So there's a lot of things that would make external circumstances that would render the crutches that you're using obsolete. You're no longer using them or they're no longer available to you. And then you're left with this weakened position that you're in because you haven't been walking on your own two feet. So that's what I would say generally. Now, specifically, you know, you don't, you don't have to be an expert, but just take the first step. I'm not sure how you started your podcast, but, and this movement that you got going on now, but I, I just started a podcast. That's all I did. It, it, I mean, I, I got it up and running in like three days. My first, and I'm talking about my first, I had a podcast before this one. I'm talking about my first podcast. I got it up and running in like three days because I was highly committed and I was serious about doing it. And it doesn't take as much effort and, 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 uh, savvy as you might think it does, but you just take the next first step and you never know where it's going to take you. And that's okay. It's okay that you don't know, but if you have an interest or a desire or, or just like even remotely interested in something, Mm -hmm. then you owe it to yourself to take the next first step without knowing where it's going to take you, perhaps even without any expectations. Yeah. And then once that develops, you like it, cool, take the next step. You don't like it, pivot. But just take one non-threatening step, then the next non-threatening step, and so on and so forth. And one day, maybe five years from now, you'll look back and think, man, look how far I've come. I didn't even realize that we had done what we've done, which yeah. is very much my experience. Yeah, I get a lot of, I get a lot of emails from, from people who are like, you know, they appreciate the show. They want to do something similar. They just don't have, often it's phrased something like, you know, uh, I just don't know how to do it. Like as if I did. Did you know how to do it when <laughs> like, you started it? I literally went to YouTube, right? Just probably exactly. like you did, watched a whole bunch of videos on how to like, lo- just logistically do it. These like, I've never heard of podcast servers and I had no idea about Apple iTunes. Like, no, nah, I just, I just did it. And then chunked my way through it for a long right. time you know, worked on my skills of interviewing, like you said, and, and just tried to work on getting better at it. Like, Drew, trust me, just start, just start. Give, you know, if you do 10 episodes, it's not like the world's laughing at you and the, and you can't just pivot and move on to something else. Right. Right. But, well, look with, with all due respect to anybody who would say that, and I have people that say that too, you, you never knew how to do anything. 
Like right. when you came out of your mother's womb, you were helpless. Right. You didn't you didn't know how to become a police officer before you became one. Right. Or or a, or a, or a medic or a firefighter or a or military member. You didn't know. You didn't know how to do math before you learned how to do math. You didn't know how to deadlift before you learned how to deadlift. Like right. nothing that you know now just came through osmosis. Like mm -hmm. you had to look foolish for a little while and you had to figure it out. And maybe there were some people along the way that gave you some coaching and guidance and instruction. But yeah, if you're saying, well, I didn't know how, I don't know how to do it. So I'm not going to do it. Well, then you wouldn't have done anything in your life yeah. if that was the reasoning you're subscribing to. It's probably more accurate to say that you're afraid of it yeah. than to say, I don't know how to do it. I think that's such an adult thing. You know, I watch like kids, they, they will jump on a topic. They'll engross themselves in it. They're more than willing to know that they don't know everything and they learn it. And right. as adults, we assume that we're supposed to know everything about everything. And that's impossible. Right. We got my, uh, my daughter a, a jump rope and we gave it to her and she, she got on it the first time and said, okay, here's how you do it. And she whacked herself in the head and then she did it and she whacked herself in the wrist and then she got caught up and she hung her feet up and tripped and fell. And like, she didn't stop. <laughs> she kept going and guess what? Now she can jump rope. Right. Like, this is not a, a hard concept to understand. Well, I want to ask. Well, it's the, the, it's the ego, though. Right. It's the ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids don't have ego. They're 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 shameless, right? They they have no care about it. Like they don't care. About, she doesn't look care how she looked when she tripped. Yeah. Right. We've been conditioned to worry about what people think of us and how they perceive us, mm -hmm. and so we won't try difficult things. Not because we don't think we can learn it, but because we're worried that somebody might criticize us, mock us, ridicule us, because that's been our past history. And by the way, they will. So I'm not saying that they won't. They will. I'm just saying brace for it and mm -hmm. understand that it's okay because in five years, those people are going to be the ones asking you how you did it and asking themselves why they didn't start five years ago when they were watching you trip and stumble. I think of you specifically in that, in that scenario where – you know, you started this, and you, if if there were naysayers, there were naysayers out there. But now you are, um, I mean, talk about leveling up, right, in terms of just the people you surround yourself with and are able to surround yourself with now as a result of what you've started. Um, your Rolodex has expanded immensely in the last five years, right? And you've been able to bring yourself up to and then perform at the same level as some of these people that we all look at and aspire to be. And I think you're just a great example of, of someone who has done that and shown that it, it's, it's possible to be done regardless. And it's not about starting a podcast and, a, and that, but whatever you want to do, if you want to start a, you know, a side gig clothing company, or you just want to make lieutenant and you see people up there at the rank of lieutenant or captain or deputy chief or chief, and you think, well, that's not me. I can't do that. You, you forget that they used to be a patrol cop too. They used to push a black and white or they were a desk detective too at some point. Everyone everyone starts from somewhere and can go anywhere as long as they keep at it. Yeah, and if you tell yourself that's not me, then you're right. It isn't. Because <laughs> like you told too. yourself it isn't for you. I like that too. But if you tell yourself, hey, you know what? I, I think I can. And look, let's be honest. You have some great officers in, in in the police force, and and you know there's some not so great officers, right? And all of all of you are are familiar with with both. You've seen both, mm -hmm. and I'll tell you, you can take inspiration from the great officers and the great leaders that you've worked with, and those people are going to motivate you and inspire you. You can also take inspiration from the not so great officers. Like if that guy can do it, surely you can. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like surely you can do it. So take, take influence from both and, and take what you can. But yeah, it's a silly thought to think, ah, oh, that's just not for me. It, nothing is for anybody until they decide to make it so. Now, some of us are blessed with certain gifts or talents, I would say in birth, you know, they're like LeBron James, like he's naturally athletic. He's a big, strong, athletic human being. He still had to develop it. He still had to, I know plenty of big, strong, talented human beings who aren't one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. <laughs> right. Right. So even though you might be born with a talent or not born with a talent, you can develop these things. None of us are born for anything. It's just a matter of what you put your effort towards. And so those people you look at who are at the top are just people who said, who said, I'm going to do that. And they just exert themselves for long enough. And there they are. Mm. You know, on your show, you end your show with a question to every guest. It's the same question for every guest. That question is, uh, what does it mean to be a man for you? I mean, that's your question, not mine. Right. But I, I, wanted sure. to, I wanted to flip it on you a little bit and share a quote with you that I use a lot on the show and then ask you for your perspective on it. And okay. it's a, covers a lot of the stuff we've talked about. But I know you've known this quote. It, quote it's from Heraclitus. And I talk about being the one a lot, right? And I implore my audience to go out and be the one for their family, for their country, for their community. And the quote is, uh, it, you know, it's, he's talking about a, a platoon of warriors. And uh, Heraclitus says, out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we are lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one. One is a true warrior, and he will be the one to bring the others back. So I wanted to ask you as we end this, what does it mean to you to be the one? I like that you ended with this question because it's actually circling back to what we talked about when it talks when we had addressed the domains in which we operate individually, family, work. Um, and and I led this conversation with focus on the one, the singular unit that you can, which is yourself. What it means to be the one is having enough belief and self-care or, or what's the right word? Just having, having enough. Yeah. I would just say self-care enough care for yourself. Like you've got to love yourself to some capacity and having enough belief and care in yourself that you're willing to invest in yourself, that you're willing to put in the training, that you're willing to work overtime if needs be, that you're willing to do the things that the 99 other people aren't willing to do. Uh, that you're willing to put in the extra hours and go the extra mile. That's what it means to be the one. There's always that person who rises to the top, and it seems to me they're not always the most talented or the most gifted, but the one who's willing to put forth the most effort for the longest and most sustained period of time that always and will always rise to the top. That's what it means to be the one. I love it. That's a great answer. Ryan, thank you for your time. Where can people find out more about you and your show and what you're up to? Yeah, I mean, since you're listening to a podcast, you can check out our podcast, which is Order of Man. Uh, you can check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can connect with me on Instagram, which is at Ryan Mickler, M-I-C-H-L-E-R. I'm very active over there. So between those two sources, you'll find everything that we're doing. And, of course, we'll put all that in the show notes, too, for people who aren't able to access it right now. You can just click on the links in the show notes at thesquadroom.net, and you can go to all of Ryan's stuff. I highly encourage everyone, if they're not already, I think most of my audience is already following you probably. Um, if not, I hope that they will check that out because there's a lot of actionable stuff you put out. You have great guests and, uh, and just fantastic stuff. So, Ryan, thanks for being with us again today and, uh, and for the second visit. 
really uh, inspiring stuff about leading ourselves and leading our home and then leading at our work as well. These are trying times, and I think a lot of people can use what we talked about today to move forward. So thank you for being here. Right on. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. If you like what you heard today and you got something out of this episode, please consider sharing it with someone you love, a partner, a spouse, uh, a friend. Uh, email it. You can email it directly to somebody from our website. You can uh, hit them up on Instagram or Twitter and share this. Give this information out because this is important information for our population to have. You can follow me on Instagram at The Squad Room and uh, check out episodes at thesquadroom.net. Don't forget about that shop. You can click our shop button in our menu bar. Check out some t-shirts, mugs, uh, some iPhone cases, some hoodies, some cool stuff there to represent the positivity that comes with the job that we do. Also want to thank Signature Coins for their support of the show. If you're looking for a challenge coin for your agency or specialty unit, check them out at SignatureCoins.com and use the coupon code THESQUADROOM to get $50 off your first order. All right, until next time, take care of each other and stay safe.